Contractors have a heavier reporting burden this year now that a new rule has kicked in requiring them to report counterfeit parts or suspected fakes to the Government Industry Data Exchange Program, or GIDEP. It's been a long time in coming. Joining me with details, Safarth Law Firm Construction and Government Contracts Attorney Teddy Arnold. Mr. Arnold, good to have you in. Thanks, Tom. Good to be here. What is happening as of, I guess, December 31st or late December of last year? Well, exciting times in the world of counterfeit parts. We now have a new federal acquisition regulation provision. New regulation aimed at reporting counterfeit items and detecting counterfeit items. Final rule. Final rule, yes. And it's been a while in development, hasn't it? Correct. Yeah, it, is, it arose out of the 2012 defense bill, and a proposed rule was put out about 2014 for the notice and comment period. And um, what does it require specifically contractors to do now? So uh, it essentially requires contractors to do a number of things, and this adds to the long list of requirements that contractors already have via government contracts. But most significantly about the rule is it does two things in terms of what's called the Government Industry Data Exchange Program. And, and that's an online system by that name? It's an online system. It's something that contractors have to essentially be invited into. And if you think about it as crowdfunding for information relating to counterfeit parts. So what the provision does is it requires contractors to first, they have to screen this database for counterfeit parts or non-conforming parts, right? So if you think of this as a long list of suppliers, vendors, parts, you know, items, things that are, have, have been used and contractors are essentially giving input into the database as to what they've seen uh, and what they've heard is counterfeit or not. So this would apply to electronic chips and also electromechanical parts and passive components and connectors? Absolutely. And, and so the rule actually, the genesis of the rule, it started off with an, a narrow application only to electronic parts being acquired by the Department of Defense. And during the notice and comment period, the FAR Council extended the rule, recognizing it has broader implication across agencies, not just DOD. Now, the DOD buys black boxes in large quantities, and inside those boxes are circuitry very often. And the prime manufacturer, the OEM of that black box may have farmed out each circuit to a different subcontractor, and there might be subs to the subs. How far down the supply food chain does this requirement go? Right. So there, there is what's called a flow-down requirement for this provision. So if you subcontract out for a, an item of critical uh, mission, sort of mission essential item, that provision has to go into that subcontract. And so, this, so the, then there's an onus on the subcontractor to essentially do the same thing, screen the database, and then report non-conforming or counterfeit items. And if I'm building a box and I'm selling it to the DOD or to the aerospace industry or to an integrator that might then in turn sell it to the DOD, and I'm buying my components from authorized distributors and authorized resellers, how would I even come in contact or have knowledge of what's counterfeit or fake? Well, so that's that's the that's the real challenge for contractors, right? So the, the requirements really are you have you have to screen the database for for what's there, and then you also have to report what you find in the course of your own business. And so the, the challenge is going to be how do you recognize counterfeit or what the the rule says suspect counterfeit parts? And essentially, there's a sort of credible evidence standard. So if you have credible evidence to believe the part is either non-conforming or counterfeit, then you have a reporting obligation. Beyond that. Essentially, you're relying on your suppliers uh, and, their, and their sort of certifications and representations as to what they're supplying you. And earlier, you said the program is by invitation. How does that work? And if it is, how can they get comprehensive data if everyone's not there? 
Well, so this is this is sort of the crowdfunding goal that the government is sort of selling here. I mean, the, although the the burden will be on contractors to undertake these additional obligations, the selling point for the government is, yeah, it'll cost you more upfront, but on the back end, once we we sort of crowdfund this space with all this information, we'll have fewer and fewer problems down the chain, which will then end up costing less over time. We're speaking with attorney Teddy Arnold. He specializes in construction and government contracts at the Safarth Law Firm. And if in a system something is discovered by its performance or failure and is traced to a part that is questionable, what happens to that contractor that originally sold that system? And what if that part did not make it into the database? Who's liable or is it possible they just couldn't have known? Well, if, if they couldn't have known about it, that's going to be sort of subject to a, a sort of a fact-finding mission and, and to the extent of what, what facts and information did the contractor have that could have put them on, on notice. We're sort of operating on a sort of constructive or inquiry-type notice standard. There is a carve-out in the rule for contracts with the Department of Defense, and it says that to the extent contractors have reported non-conforming items or attempted to, to identify them, they'll not be subject to civil liability on the basis of that report provided that they made a reasonable effort to determine that the report itself was factual. Uh, so so they, you know, they, they're trying to alleviate some of the, some of the burden some, from a liability standpoint. And is your sense that DOD is after what? Is it cybersecurity breaches and backdoors that might be built into counterfeit electronic components? Or is it the fear of the simple failure of a part and therefore of a system which would risk life and property or both? I think it's probably both. You know, I mean, the, the big takeaway from this rule is how it affects national defense. So you're thinking major weapon systems, satellites, aviation. And so, you know, when they first implemented the rule, it was geared towards just these electronic components. And then when they went out to industry and got their comments on it, they realized that this impacts everything. This impacts federal aviation requirements. This impacts transportation, you know, obviously defense, Department of Energy contracts. So there is a much broader application, and I think the risk of failure in sort of these critical mission procurements is what the government is concerned about. And from an operational standpoint, what do contractors need to do? It sounds like they need to, the large ones, which would have a compliance officer, needs to get together with the logistics team, the manufacturing leadership, and so on. And it sounds like a team effort is required to develop some kind of a system to make sure that they screen for this kind of stuff. There is going to be an upfront cost to contractors in terms of time and resources and money to comply with this, and you're correct. So they're going to have to interface with the database, become familiar with the industry exchange program, understand how you're supposed to report things, understand how you're supposed to screen as the rule requires you to do, and you've got to have a good handle in your supply chain. you got to know where your parts are coming from. you got to have oversight over your subcontractors. There's multiple layers of how this will affect contractors you know, all the way down the chain. Um, and so, yes, the upfront cost will be of some significance, but the back end promise will be uh, from the government side is essentially that we're going to have fewer and fewer problems down the road. I guess one of the maybe more challenging aspects of this is as systems age and you need replacement parts, and sometimes those systems may not be sp- supported anymore by the manufacturer or the original part may not be manufactured, it is possible to get certified and high quality replacement parts in the aftermarket but you're also very close to the gray market at that point. And so for the older systems and DOD's got lots of those, that seems like a more challenging situation. Yeah, you mean in terms of sort of sourcing where where this right. Yeah. So um, absolutely, I mean the you know, your the black market or the gray market as you describe, that's going to be always a, a risk that's lingering. Uh, and, and so And it's a big part of the electronics industry. 
Oh, no, no question. No question. And so, you know, this idea of how contractors are going to identify what the regulation calls counterfeit or suspect counterfeit parts, or the second component, which is major or critical non-conforming parts, right? Those are parts generally that have not passed inspection or failed testing, that kind of thing. That's just going to be a challenge going forward. All right. So this is an important rule and one that contractors better get on the stick about. Absolutely. And one thing I should add is that the rule is geared towards what they, the, the rule calls these higher level quality control requirements. And so what that means is government has quality assurance requirements for varying levels of contracts. This is going to apply at the highest level. So these are mission critical contracts and weapon systems, satellites, things like that that are critical to life safety, national defense, things of, of great importance. Attorney Teddy Arnold specializes in construction and government contracts at the SafeFarth Law Firm. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Tom. We'll post this interview along with a link to his detailed article on this topic at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.